All right. Well, thank you all. And I, I know as you are looking at those, those were all legitimately our children. There were no stock photos in there. I know they were so cute. Like, oh, my gosh, those kids real? Yes, they are, right? And we have their part of vintage and part of your family. We've been very, very blessed to be a part of that. This morning, I want to shift gears. I want to kind of let you I want to kind of have a family conversation real quick, just letting you know what's going on in the context of our Rooted initiative. If you were have not been a part of vintage uh, for the last couple of years, you may not know that we own 40 eight acres of land on Cedar Crest Road down close to 41. Uh, and about a year and seven months ago, we came to the people of Vintage and we did this giving initiative called the Rooted Initiative. We say, listen, if you are a part of Vintage and you consider Vintage to be your home church, we are asking that you would finance, pray and ask God what he would have you pledge financially over this two-year piece to help us reach this vision of what God wants to do on this property. And so in that time, we had pledges of close to $830,000 to put towards this property. And to date, we have received $479,000. So we're past the 50% mark, and that is wonderful. But I want to remind you, in case you have forgotten, our deadline for fulfilling that pledge is March 31st of 2020. As like Randall said, that's just around the corner. Why are we letting you know this? Well, simply because we know that you want to fulfill this pledge because you wouldn't have made it if you didn't want to. And just remind you, the time is coming. And we're just simply encouraging you to get a plan. Like if you're like, oh my gosh, I absolutely want to fulfill that pledge. Just get a plan of what you do and how you're going to fulfill that. And obviously recognize as we get towards the end of 2019, we recognize that the end of the year is a primary time. People make decisions with their finances. And we encourage you again, above your tithes and your offerings, we obviously need those to keep our light bill on and keep the keep everything going at Vintage, that you would put money towards that pledge. And our hope is to get to that what's uh, 100%. Uh, fulfillment of the pledges that were made in the Rooted Initiative. One of the things I think that's been interesting for us that I actually have been, I've been uh, this, was a, this was news to me. I was told years ago, hey, when you talk to lenders and talk to churches, they look at the, the pledges giving in a giving campaign and they, they basically, they lend based on that number and we're actually realizing that's not true. Banks only lend off of money in hand. So they're like, that's great. Thank you for doing the pledge but we need to see money in hand. And so that's why I'm letting you know it's, inc- it's important for us as we take that next step that obviously we get money in hand so that we can actually take those steps. I do want to let you know uh, and talking to some people at Vintage, we're like, yeah, I made a pledge, but I forget how much it was for, <laughs> right? And so this week we're going to be sending out an email to all of you who made a, a, niche, a, rooted, a rooted pledge just to let you know, hey, this was your this was your pledge commitment, and this is how much you've given so far, just to keep you in the loop so that you can know uh, what's going on. And then I do want to let you know that on the 17th, so two weeks from today, I'm going to be giving an update on where we are with with architects, where we are with banks, that there's some good news in this, there's some not great news in the middle of it, so I want all of you to be here so that we can talk through all of that, and we can keep you in the loop of what's going on in the life of vintage. All right. So how many of you have memories of a moment where your dad or your mom, like after the third or fourth 
moment of being disobedient, they kind of all of a sudden raised their voice. And when they talked, talk to you, every vessel in your kind of in your in their neck kind of bulged out and they were speaking very loudly. And if you're honest, a little harshly, any hands up, because I have many, many a memory and many, many a moment of of seeing my dad's face and going, oh, my gosh, he just went from nice dad to whatever dad you want to call him. Right. And so in those moments, my dad was coming because there was something. Listen, in the moment of being what I would say harsh or being very direct, there was always an intention behind that. Right. Like there was some message that he wanted to get across, something that he thought was important. And I had not been listening and he had been super gracious. But in this moment, he had to do something to make sure that I understood there was something super important in the message that he was trying to share. I want to say that's what we're going to have happen this morning from James. James is having one of those moments. James is having one of those moments when I read it. And I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it as if, and in the way that I believe James was, was wanting it to be read. You know how when you write something and you have like an emotion behind it and you're like this when you're writing it, whatever it may be. Like I'm going to read it this morning and recognize That when he speaks, it's going to sound harsh. And why do I bring that up now? Because what I find in the church among Christians is that they love the Bible verses that make them feel good. And they look over the Bible verses that they don't that don't make them feel so good. Right. Like they like the verses that they can buy stuff at the Christian bookstore and put on their walls. And let me just tell you really straightforward that in no Christian bookstore in America or across the world, is there any verse from James chapter five verses one through six, right? Like that, like you probably, someone came to me and said, man, I've never heard a message on those verses in my entire life. And I'm like, I wonder why, right? So to get that picture, let us go and read this. And let me say this to you. Everyone hear me? Really? This is like a, like a, um, like a shepherding moment here. It is really common when harsh words begin to be spoken that you do this, right? And you don't listen. Now, it makes sense if they're out of bounds, but this is not out of bounds. This is a harsh and very direct word that we may go, oh, right? But we need to do our best to listen because maybe there's just something that James is trying to say in it that if we would actually open ourselves up to hear, it would change how we view Jesus and our Christian walk. That's what I believe we're going to see this morning. So let's read. You can follow along in your Bible or on the screen. James chapter 5, starting in verse 1, going through 6, and I'm going to tag on verse 7 at the end because I think it, because it's important for this morning and for next week for this message that Scott's going to be speaking. Now, remember, I'm going to read this in the way that I believe James was writing it. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail. Because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver, they're corroded. 
Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Touchy-feely, right? Verse 7. Next screen. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. So the first thing to know, we've been talking about that the audience, the audience and the recipients of James's letter are those who were inside the church, right? He has been talking to them and he's been talking about them. But in these verses, here the audience is still the church. He's still writing to those inside the church. But now, this is important, he is talking about those who were outside the church those who are oppressing believers, specifically the wealthy who these Christians are working under, right? They are the wealthy who they're working under. And so James is coming in the moment and he's speaking about them. And here's what I want you to hear me say. This is, if you don't get this, then you're going to miss the whole thing about these verses. James is speaking about the oppressors. And about the judgment that God is bringing against them at the end of time. The language is so dramatic and so passionate. It's language of judgment. Oppressors, we've seen you. God knows. He's seen these terrible things that you were doing. And I want you to know you think you've gotten away with all of this. But God has seen and he's judging you. And the oppressed in the moment are going, yay, (laughs) right? He's looking at those in the church going, he's like the ones that are reading going, oh my gosh. James is speaking about God fighting for us. And so in the language that we get here, right, it's very harsh, like, oh my gosh, Uh, right? It's like that's overwhelming. But he's coming in the moment. He's talking about those who are oppressed. And it's important then to recognize in the story of God's people throughout Scripture, from Genesis, honestly, to Revelation, that the people of God are an oppressed, a persecuted, and a marginalized people. Like, you've all read the story. You've watched the movie with Charlton Heston, right? The Israelites in Egypt. And what are they? They're marginalized and they're oppressed. And then they cry out to God in Exodus 2. And what does God do? He hears them and sends Moses to defend and fight for them. And that's what we see happening here in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. He's saying, God has heard the cries. Now, I think it's interesting, and I hear this is really important. You may not know this, but today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. It's the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. More than, just some more numbers for you. I encourage you to write these down and just kind of ponder them for a moment. More than 300 Christians die per day because of their faith across the world. 300 Christians die per day because of their faith. 
200 million Christians face persecution each day. Like when we talk about this, I want you to recognize, I'm not, I'm not talking about adult men. I'm not talking about just adult men and women. I'm talking about adult men and women and their children who claim to be Christians or have grabbed hold of Jesus across the world today are facing persecution. And so this message is speaking to these types of people, those who are being marginalized, those who are being oppressed, those who are being abused, those who are being taken advantage of and looked down upon simply because of their faith. And so James is speaking to these Christians who are living marginalized and oppressed in the world in which they're living. And we're still facing that today. And so as we listen to this message this morning, we, and we read these scriptures, we have to recognize it's not just a theoretical thing. It's an actual thing happening in the world today, right, among believers. And, and in time, there's, there's a chance that it may happen here. And so James is coming into the moment, and he's saying, listen, he's saying to believers in verse 7, hey, listen, I know you're crying out, I know you're struggling, be patient, God is moving in his timing, right? In verse 4, we read that he is bringing judgment. He's heard, and he's going to fight for you and to bring judgment upon them. But the second thing, and I want you to hear this, as much as this is primarily speaking to those outside the church who are oppressors, we have to remember the judgment against the wealthy, whether believers inside the church or unbelievers, is real and possible for anyone, including us. Do you remember reading earlier in the book of James? And he's saying, listen, Christians, stop, stop showing preferential treatment. Why are you trying to put yourself in the same boat with the wealthy here who are literally throwing you, listen, taking you to court and having you thrown into prison? we see from earlier on in James is that there are believers inside the church who are trying to move over into the wisdom of the world and live as the wealthy. And I think it's important if we're really honest, like about the word wealthy, because you're like, I'm not wealthy like that. I mean, I definitely don't have things corroding in my savings account, right? But the idea is he's saying wealthy, the top, listen, we said before at Vintage, the top 1% of the world are anybody who have at least two cars, a roof over their head, and three meals a day and clothes on their back. So we represent top 1% wealthiest in the world today. And so why is that important? Because when we talk about this, I just want you to be aware that there is a possibility that some of us, some of us who are believers, maybe are kind of leaning into the camp of the wisdom of the world and how we're viewing our wealth and our finances. And God just wants us to be aware and to wake up to a kingdom perspective of your wealth and your finances. Everyone look at me. Please don't tune me out because I'm talking about money in church. Some of you tune me out when I start talking about finances. Like, oh my gosh, another pastor talking about money. 
I'm not going to ask for any of your money this morning. Right? I'm, all I'm doing is I'm leading. Imagine I'm just, give me grace to say this. I know I'm younger than some of y'all, but imagine I'm like, let's say a friend. I'm a spiritual friend coming up alongside this morning and saying, hey, can we just do a heart check on finances? Yeah, how do I do that? I'm just going to walk you to Jesus. I'm going to let you have a conversation with him, and I'm going to pull back, and you let me know where you land with him. I'm not going to guilt you. I'm going to share some truth. let James speak to you. So I'm going to speak on behalf of James some truth this morning. And then I want you to go back and have an honest conversation about where you are. Why? Because I don't know about you, but I don't want Dad using these harsh words to talk about me and how I handle my finances. I want to make sure I'm as far as possible from that judgment. How many of you know that judgment's not fun? Right? And so I want to make sure, hey, we're going to fight for the oppressed, but I don't want to be in the camp of the oppressors and not know it. Okay? So are we all okay? I don't want your money. But Jesus, well, Jesus, we actually, this is the fact, you don't have any money. It belongs to Jesus. We'll get into that. So in this, here's a question to talk about. He's on the screen. It's kind of a long, it's way too long. I should have simplified it. Sorry. Will I bring my financial practices? You all have financial practices, whether you know it or not. Will I bring my financial practices in line with my conviction of the return of Christ at any moment who judges those who just store up and lay up treasures on earth and withhold financial help for those in need? Or... Well, I just indulge my desire to seek security and amassing wealth by any means for my own use. Right? Will I bring my financial practices to father, to dad, and just right now, you may be coming back at any time, so I don't want to hoard it, or am I going to be comfortable just using it for myself? We have to begin to ask ourselves these questions, Right? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not beating you up this morning. I'm just trying to help you wake up to where you might be in your financial practices. And I want to help you be Jesus-centered in them. So in this, let's look at some of these verses and then what James is trying to, what James is trying to say. So verse 1, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Lots of imagery here. But God is bringing, listen, I'll say it again. God is bringing judgment on the wealthy who wound and abuse people while gaining wealth. Like, have you ever known or watched a movie or read stories of the less thans who get taken advantage of by the greater thans? And they think they get away with it? And so God's coming and saying, man... Like, let me talk about you for a second, those who are the oppressors. Weep and wail because misery is coming to you. Judgment of sin is a serious deal. The abuse of God's children is a big deal. God's discipline, it's a big deal. And how people handle their wealth and go about gaining it, stepping on people to get there, is a big deal. If you are a business owner, God is watching how you handle every single person who works for you. 
I live in fear, holy fear every day for the people who are on my staff because I'm held accountable with how I handle their time, how I handle their money, how I handle their emotional well-being. I'm responsible for all of that as one who's been put over them. And so God is coming through James and speaking this reality. So in this one piece that we have to take, people may think they've, like I said, they've already gotten away with something in regards to how they treat people in business and in gaining wealth. But God is aware. He is watching. He is bringing discipline on those who do not repent. With this in mind, James this is bring about four different charges. Four charges against those who are oppressing with their wealth. The first one. Verse 2 through 3, first charge I bring against you is you're hoarding your wealth. You are hoarding your wealth. Super practical, simple right here. A very simple kingdom principle we must never forget. God gives us money for us to manage wisely. God gives you money for you to manage wisely, it is not yours, it is his. So let's say Tiffany all of a sudden comes into a million dollars. Yay! And she believes I'm a great money manager, because you know there's people out there like this, right? And she says, Steve, I don't know what to do with this. I don't have time to, to work with it, but I'm going to give it to you to manage and to multiply for me. Who does that money belong to? It belongs to Tiffany. I'm just holding on to it to help manage that. And that's what we see here, right? Saying you're hoarding your wealth and it doesn't even belong to you. Again, look at the language James uses against the wealthy. His powerful imagery. He says, you're, well, you've amassed so much it's rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Literally, they would take clothes in the day, fabric, and they would put it somewhere. And literally saying, moths are coming in and eating it. You have so much. You don't even know what's going on with it. You're not even using it. You're hoarding it, right? Your gold and your silver, they are corroded. Their corrosion says, will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. I mean, that's overwhelming, Powerful language. The picture is clear. They are amassing wealth. All of this stuff with no regard that God may be giving it to them because others in their life need it. That's the nature of hoarding. I may need it for tomorrow. I know you need it for today, but I may need it for tomorrow, so I'll pray for you. That's what James chapter 2 said. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep on and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? It's no good. It's no good to say, well, I'm going to hold on to what I have. Even though you may need it, I'm going to hold on to it, but I'll pray for you. And so he's challenging these oppressors saying, that is what an oppressor does. They hold on for themselves while they're living around those who are in need today. 
The expectation of Christ's followers for James is to give away much of what's been given to them for the sake of helping those who are in need. But he's saying the rich hoard their wealth with no thought of how to bless God and how to bless others with the wealth that's come their way. God brings judgment. He brings judgment on them for not sharing what they're simply managing. Like a real practical sense is, and I, and I, and I, I said this later on at the first service, but I'll say it here now. Like a real practical piece in managing is when I receive my paycheck, whatever you receive it monthly, bi-weekly, every week, whatever it is, do you look at that check and see how I can spend it on self? Or do you immediately say, God, here's your check. What do you want to do with it? And that's what James is trying to get at. The kingdom economy, a second charge against them. They cheated their workers the wage they earned. They cheated their workers the wage that they earned. So these lower socioeconomic believers, right, were going over here and mowing the fields and working hard for these wealthy over here in their mansions. And then this person like, I'm sorry, I spent that money on a party I had yesterday. That's the money I allotted for you. Sorry, I can't pay you. What can they do to fight for themselves? Have you ever been to a slum and talked to a slum lord or been around someone who lives at housing run by a slum lord? What does a slum lord do? They get it barely to where it's livable and do nothing in and of it and just receive money from those who can't fight for themselves or afford anything else. Do you know what God says? I'm going to judge them. I see everything. Nothing goes unnoticed by me. God's people were being taken advantage of. The wealthy, they were stealing from the poor. They were cheating what belonged to them so they could become wealthier. And we see this. We see this all the time in the world. Like, I wonder if any of you work for someone. I mean, you're like, that's exactly what my boss does. So all of us have probably been impacted in some degree by this in the context of our life. We cannot, what, we can, what cannot be missed in this in verse 4, is that those who were oppressed, those who were persecuted, those who were forgotten, those who were pushed down, they cried out to God in verse 4, and he heard them. Like, if, if, if you want to walk away with a positive this morning, this is going to be it. Like, if you want to feel good this morning in the message of James, for believers, this is it. When I read this, it messed me up for about, the, about 10 or 15 minutes as I processed this reality. Verse 4 says, The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. In all situations, at all times, in every part of the world, God hears the voice of the, pre- of the oppressed right in this perfect timing. He always responds. And when he responds, he responds as the Lord Almighty. And you're like, that's a great phrase, but don't miss what this phrase means. The Lord Almighty. It's intentional language. When James spoke it, every believer went, Yes, yes, this, this is amazing. The Lord Almighty, it literally means the Lord of the armies, meaning he is the Lord of the armies of heaven. 
And James is creating a language for the oppressed to know and be encouraged by that when you go through trials, when you are oppressed, when people speak against you, when there are injustices that occur to you, you may want God to move now and he may not, but he is hearing from heaven and he will hold everyone accountable and judge everyone for their sin against you. Every person went, the Lord of the armies of God heard me and is fighting for me. I will say this, in my own prayer life, in my own time with the Lord, as I've begun to grab hold of the reality of this type of God in my life who is aware so that when I pray, he hears me, it changes my prayer life. Going from I'm not sure he hears to living with confidence that he hears me and the Lord of the armies is fighting for me. It just changes everything. Have you ever prayed defeated prayers and then all of a sudden you awaken to who God is and the authority you have in Christ and all of a sudden your prayers change? What if you live at this place of God as the Lord Almighty who is over us and fighting for us? James is leading the oppressed to encourage them, speaking life over them, praying for them as the persecuted church, saying, God may not move when you think he's going to move, but he hears, he sees, and in time he will come with judgment. He is the Lord Almighty, the Lord of the armies, and he is on our side, and he has granted us authority. He has no rival. He has no equal. He is all-powerful, and we must believe he hears us. That's what he's trying to say. And so he continues on and says, all right, let's talk about the oppressors again. The third charge, you live in luxury and self-indulgence. These words are synonyms and they speak to people who just waste their resources on self with no regard for another person. They take all their wealth, all their money. They're like, well, I earned this. I worked hard for it. And they just receive it for themselves and think about what they can do for themselves, what they have received. Their selfishness blinds them to others, it blinds them to the need of others, and it blinds them to the fact that there is a coming judgment. There's a coming judgment. They think everything is good while their ship is going down. Now think about the people on Titanic, right? Is that just a classic example? Like they're literally like, man, the, the water level seems to be rising outside of our ship. What's happening? As they're sitting there eating and drinking and being merry. Like, this is crazy. Let's walk outside and see what's happening. As everyone's screaming bloody murder, right? It's like, that's what he's saying. He's like, in this, it says this. It says, they are in the, it says this, they are fat, have fattened themselves in the day of the slaughter. They literally on the brink of destruction and they're still fattening themselves in selfishness like cattle who are eating while on their way to slaughter. That's harsh language. That's difficult language. But it's this true thing. This is what God sees. This is what he brings judgment on. We have to be aware. We have to be aware. Do we live aware? Do you live aware of the resources entrusted to you to provide for the needy and broken? Or we just see what we receive in light of buying something that we simply want for self? These are the things we have to be awakened to. And the fourth charge is really quick. Let's look at it real quickly. It says, 
They murdered innocent men. In their pride, they were responsible for the murder of people who were living for others, namely Jesus, namely Stephen, and in time, James. So unaware of the judgment, so unaware of them being the oppressors, so unaware of how they're living that they literally are murdering the ones who are fighting for others. For James, how the wealthy lived oppressing believers, it was a huge deal. Obviously, we see it in the harsh language directed at them. But in this, we see God is the Lord Almighty for those who are being oppressed and those who are being taken advantage of. But every believer, at the same time, has to be careful. We have to be careful with our own wealth, our own resources, for very easily we could be swayed to the wisdom of the world. We could hoard for ourselves what God has given to us to be a blessing to others and fall into the same sin of the wealthy. Therefore, our takeaways, our takeaways this morning, there are two. Our takeaways, number one, we must create a kingdom perspective with our finances and we must embrace generosity. We must create a kingdom perspective with our finances. So wealth in God's eyes is not measured by how much you get, but by how much you give away. Not by how much you get, but how much you give away. God measures, God measures our effectiveness with wealth and how we use it to fulfill the royal law of loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And our mindset is godly in nature when we naturally view all we have as belonging to God and at his disposal through us. God, it's not mine, it's yours. What do you want to do with it? God, this is not mine, it's yours. What do you want to do with it? Our heart is most like God's with wealth when our lives and our actions look like the widow in the story of the widow's might. You've all read that story. We all, is on the felt board. We were growing up in Sunday school. We love the widow. Oh, we love the widow. She had nothing, but she gave everything because she loved God and loved people. It wasn't like the Pharisees who just gave out of their excess. Who just gave because, well, I'm comfortable giving this amount because it doesn't affect everything else that I'm doing over here. And so James was coming and saying, listen, the widow's might, this is, or Jesus would say, the widow's might, this is the place. What drives our giving? Sacrifice? Sacrificial cost of something? Or is our giving driven by comfort? What makes us most comfortable doesn't really cost us anything. For the conversation of Giving of our wealth is it revolving really we look at our money as revolving around self or around giving to others. We have to have a kingdom perspective with our finances. Second, we must embrace generosity. In his letter, James is always saying that faith is expressed in action. And I would say a fruit of our salvation, an expression that's gonna be Christ like that we know we've given our life to Jesus, and because this fruit is birthed in us and being expressed. It's the fruit of generosity. The fruit of why? Like, have, you ever, have you ever seen what Jesus gave? Have you ever seen the generosity that he literally expressed by his own life 
living literally in poverty so that he could give his life away and then giving himself everything that he had. We read in James 2, but then it comes along and seeing this fruit of generosity in Luke 12, 32, 34. It's the words of Jesus. He says on the screen, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He's saying everything that God has to meet all of your needs, he's already given it to you. So, Let's sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's this idea that all that we have belongs to Jesus. And the most wise thing we can do as believers in the context of our, our life in eternity is living life saying it's not about what I hold on to, but what I give away because God will be faithful to meet all of my needs. The wisdom of the world says, hey, a large nest egg is the fruit of a successful career. The world says a large nest egg is the fruit of a successful career, but godly wisdom says give today so that others can simply live. James, many speaking to us. Not the hardest, not the easiest message. But he's coming and saying, God fights for the oppressed. But make sure, followers of Christ, you're not falling into the camp of the world with how you view wealth. You're not just following the wisdom of the world. Let's pray. Father, we, this, is, this message of James is difficult. When we start talking about finances in church, God, we've just been so abused over the years uh, by pastors who want something or want, want us to bless their thing. But Lord, we just say this, you're very, very comfortable telling us what you want for your kingdom. And you're very comfortable saying, hey, you're managing what I gave you. I need you to wake up to that because it's not yours. And I pray this morning, Jesus, those who are oppressed and those who've been wounded and those who've been hurt, we thank you, God, in that oppression, God, and being marginalized, God, and thinking about the, the 300 million Christians that are living persecuted today. We thank you, God, that those who've been persecuted, who've experienced an injustice, I thank you, Jesus, that you are fighting for them today, that you hear them, you are fighting for them, you are healing them. And God, in time, you will judge those who come against them. Thank you for being the Lord Almighty. And we pray for those, God. We live this in a, in a very wealthy country, Lord. And we've missed the fact that wealth doesn't equal blessing. Like, we believe, God, that if we, if we have lots of money, then God has blessed us. And that may not be true. You say, blessed for the poor. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God, we've just missed something around wealth. And God, we've missed that wealth actually is a, comes with responsibility. It's being given to us not to self-indulge, not to live blind to the needs of others, but God, to come alongside and say, God, how would you have me bless others? How would you have me love my neighbor as you love them through giving away what I've received? 
Lord, I just pray this morning that you would help us to put our guard down and just let you be honest with us rather than just put our hands up. And God, we would live in a kingdom economy around finances and wealth and that we would live with generosity defining our life. So Jesus, we love you. Have your way. If I could respond this morning, so we have offering baskets here, as we always do, a little giving box back there. Just again, if you're part of Vintage, this is how you worship. I encourage you to come and do that. Communion will be available this morning, as it is every Sunday morning, to remember the grace of God poured out. This is his gift, his blessing poured out, his death and his resurrection. As we take it, it's as if it comes alive inside of us again, and we receive just more sound. more of him in the sense of his grace being poured out. And lastly, we have teams who are be on both sides who just want to pray for you. Maybe you've been oppressed. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been crying out to God. Maybe you need healing. Maybe you need restoration. Maybe you need help this morning. We just want to pray for you. Why do we pray for you? Well, when Jesus sent people out, he says, go, right? He says, go, cast out demons and cure diseases as they prayed for them. We just want to do what Jesus' disciples did and pray for those that are in need. So if you need any prayer for anything, just need God to move in anything in your life this morning, in a marriage, in a relationship with your kids, physically, emotionally, spiritually, we have teens that would like to pray for you. So we're going to sing, let's sing this one song in about five minutes. I'll come back up and I'll close this out. I just invite you to respond as the Lord would lead you this morning.